from MPB Think Radio. This is In Legal Terms, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. This morning, we're going to talk about fish and game law with Professor Kathy Janice. What rights do we have to hunt and fish? What can the state regulate? What are the laws about hunting on private property? Give us a call this morning. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after the news. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Fifth Generation Incorporated, maker of Tito's Handmade Vodka, still independently owned by Tito Beverage, distilled and bottled in Austin, Texas, American-made and gluten-free. Recipes and more at titosvodka.com. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And this morning, we're going to talk about fish and game law with Professor Professor Kathy Genesee. Blah, sorry. What rights do we have to hunt and fish? What can the state regulate? And what are the laws about hunting on private property? We'd love for you to join us this morning. Our number is one 877 MPB ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. How are you? And I'm telling you, it's great to have Professor Janice on today. She and the Sea Grant Law Center do such great work for our state and our region. Uh, She's a frequent speaker and an expert uh, on Top many topics, including the one we're going to be dealing with today. Well, I'm doing great, and, and happy New Year! I was up in Oxford on Saturday. I'm moving. I moved in my daughter, and it turned out the property manager at her apartment complex is one of your students. So if he doesn't treat her right, I expect you both to give him an F. <laughs> Well, we'll take good care of her. We hope your daughter does well. And uh, it's good to have the students coming back. It, you can feel the energy rising again on, on campus. Well, great. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk about game and fish law with Professor Kathy Genesee, who teaches at the law school and teaches classes on water law, agricultural law, and fish and game regulation, among others. She's also been a research analyst with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Welcome to the show, Professor Genesee. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, and if you have any questions on this topic, we'd love for you to give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Professor Janice, when we were uh, emailing back and forth at the beginning of the show, um, I I was thinking more of kind of nitpicky things about fish and game law, but you really brought up some, uh, I don't want to say esoteric questions, but some real, you know, down to earth questions about, you know, in Mississippi, uh, do we, we have the right to hunt and fish? 
Yes, so we do, and um, most people don't know this. Um, I taught it to my students last semester, and a lot of them have hunted and fished their entire lives in Mississippi, and they did not know. But under the Mississippi Constitution, the people of Mississippi are given explicitly the right to hunt fish and harvest wildlife. And that right is not absolute, I should note, but it is subject to you know laws and regulations that promote wildlife conservation and management, and that kind of preserves that right for the future of hunting and fishing in the state. But we do have a constitutional right to hunt and fish here in Mississippi. And so how does, uh, how and why can the state regulate that? And so this is a very esoteric principle, and it actually goes back, way back hundreds of years to English common law. So in England, um, the crown held wildlife in trust for the people of the country. And so when we became our own country, we kind of adopted that English common law here in the United States. And the courts have very early on in the history of the United States created what's known as the state ownership doctrine, also known as a wildlife trust, where the state owns wildlife in trust for the people of the state. And it comes from this idea that wild animals are wild. They can't be owned by anyone as property. So the state owns it, but not you know, and for themselves and for their own gain, but for the benefit of all of us so we can go out and hunt and fish. I really like that idea of, of it, it, it seems like it brings Mississippians closer together to think of the state and all of our wildlife that we together have. Yeah, and it's that idea that the state is supposed to be regulating to balance that right for us to access to hunt and fish, but at the same time, preserving the species um, so in the future, you know, the residents of Mississippi can have the same rights that we have today, which I think is a great um, idea and legal concept. Well, this is such a great topic. We've already got one call this morning. We've got a call from Madison. Uh, John, welcome to our show. What's your question? Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I'll, I'll ask it and get off the line. Um, I wanted to know what a hunter or a property owner could do with people who are running dogs on their property. Um, I know you, you have limited days to hunt. You take a day off, you're sitting up in your stand, and and uh, you start hearing the barking, and, and they run right by you, and you might as well just go home. Uh, it's not fair to shoot the dogs. I understand there's a, that the legislature passed a law that uh, gave a huge fine for shooting a hunt dog. Uh, you want to shoot the hunters, but the very visceral reaction and uh, I know people in my hunt club that uh, whose policy is to shoot the dog, throw the car in the back of the truck, drive it off. But there are people who are allowing their dogs to go a quarter of a mile into somebody's private property, run the deer out of it, shoot the deer that, that we may have fed and provided habitat for all year. And, and like I say, it's just a very, <laughs> it elicits a lot of anger out in the field. And so I was wondering if you could speak to that issue and what, what rights we have as property owners. Thank you. Yes, so that's a great question, and, you know, we can talk about it later on. With private property, your rights to wildlife aren't absolute, but one of the rights you do hold as a property owner is the right to exclude others from hunting on your property, and that concept is pretty well stated, and so those people who are running dogs across your property are trespassing, Um, and so you have the right to post that it's private property and tell them to not come on your property. Um, 
but beyond that, you know, to actually enforce that against them, you would have to get um, law enforcement involved. Um, and so you do have the right to keep them off, but what steps you take from there um, is really a question for the local authorities. I guess uh, I'm not uh, familiar with, with deer hunting. This would be, a, I guess, an, a, a separate hunter who it, it, he, he was on property that he owned or he had access to, and a, a third party came and was running dogs. Do you think that's what he was talking about? I think he was saying that he had his land, which he had kind of set up for ideal deer hunting, he thought, for the season, and someone else came and let their dogs um, run across the property and helped um, pursue a deer for a hunter who was not, it was not their property. That's what I think he was talking about. Oh, all right. All right. Well, let's get back to more about to the state taking care of our our wildlife. Um, uh, tell us about the wildlife, the, the trust. Yes. Yeah, so the wildlife trust is really a trust in name only. And so it's created by the courts. And in most state cases that created it basically says exactly what I said, that the state owns wildlife and trust for the benefit of the residents of the state and into the future. And so while that's a great concept, it really creates a lot of legal problems um, because unlike other trusts that would be formed under the law, it does not have very well-defined terms. And I think Richard would know this better than most people because he teaches this topic. But I tell my students, you know, when I work in private practice on, you know, some corporate trusts and I'd get the trust documents and they could be hundreds of pages of law, long with very specific details about what the trustee could or could not do with the, you know, corpus of the trust. And we don't have that in the wildlife trust. And so that creates a lot of issues because it puts all this discretion in the state about, you know, are they regulating too much? Are they regulating too little? Have they picked the right species? Are they taking action when the corpus of the trust, the wildlife is hurt, et cetera? All right. Well, so what what can the state regulate? So the state, you know, the first thing they can regulate is wildlife. And so not domestic animals that you have on your property. But I should note in most states, that's really defined by statute or regulation. So not on a case by case basis, but on a species by species basis. So a deer's, you know, wildlife in Mississippi, it's regulated under the wildlife laws. And that can differ from state to state. Um, And so... That's something you need to check. But then they also, again, have to decide what wildlife to regulate. So not every wild animal you know, species in Mississippi is regulated. So they've chosen which ones they want to kind of address with these fish and game laws. And so that's another area where the state really has a lot of discretion about what they're choosing to regulate. And then they can regulate the manner in which we hunt or fish um, and when we can do it, so seasons. Um, are open and closed at certain times. Um, A major thing that comes up is we want to be fair to the species, so that's why they tell you what kind of weapons um, or fishing gear you could use. You don't want the species to suffer. You don't actually want it to be unfair to the species. You don't want to take something in a way that is not, you know, considered um, fair to the species. And then the final thing is, you know, how do we allocate access? So license, permits, tags. Um, there's requirements to have those in the state. And so the state also then has to decide, again, with this discretion is, if there's limited access, how are we going to decide who has access? So is it a lottery? 
um, or the permits expensive, which have issues about access. And so each of these little areas that they can kind of regulate under, again, the state has a huge amount of discretion in kind of making these decisions about what to do. And I guess we've seen in the last couple of years, uh, I guess kind of all across the nation, invasive species that have come into areas where they previously weren't. Um, governments have uh, created seasons for mm-hmm. hunting those species. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so in a lot of places, that is kind of been the number one management to kind of get these species out. And so the ones that come to my head, you know, are wild hogs, which are a big issue. In Florida, they had a tried to have a python hunt um, because the pythons had become such a problem in South Florida, which wasn't that successful because pythons are really hard to catch, apparently. But we're seeing that again in the Gulf with lionfish, trying to catch lionfish to kind of get them out. And so that's been a major way to kind of protect the rest of the environment from these invasive species is to have open seasons on hunting them. Well, we're so glad that you're here with us today, Professor Jansen, uh, Janice, and we're going to take a break now and give our listeners a chance to call in with their questions about fish and game. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Coming up this week on At Issue, the state of obesity. One out of every three people in Mississippi is obese. The problem is expected to get worse if trends continue. It's a very complex issue that has some individual responsibility, as well as that we're only healthy in some of the choices that we have available to us. Join host Wilson Stribling for At Issue, Mississippi's only statewide television news program, this Friday at 7.30 p.m. on MPB. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to MPB's Think Radio and In Legal Terms. We would love for you to uh, subscribe to our podcast. 
So every week after the show airs, we put it online. You can listen to it at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. And when you go to our website, on the right-hand side, there's a little purple button that is subscribe to the show. It's all, Our show is also available on the MPB Media app, as is all of our local shows. Today, we're joined by Professor Richard Gershon. He's our expert and co-host, and he has with him Professor Janice, who also, alongside teaching at the uh, Mississippi School of Law, is also teaches at the Honors College on water security. Uh, Professor Genesee, what is water security? Um, it's basically all issues that we're kind of facing with, you know, access to water, controlling water, um, what we do with wastewater. And so in that class, it was a great class to kind of teach. The students were really into it. And we just kind of looked at every aspect of water management and kind of looked at, you know, where the risks are about um, where we are right now about kind of using water, controlling water, and then where we're going to go in the future. And Kathy, you want, would you talk just a minute about what Sea Grant does too? Because that's, sure. you know, that I think a lot of people don't know that uh, the National Sea Grant Law Center is part of the University of Mississippi School of Law and all the great work that y'all do there. Yeah, so um, I'm an attorney with the National Sea Grant Law Center on campus, and our main function is to be kind of the legal research, you know, people for the nation's Sea Grant programs. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Sea Grant, it's basically based on the land grant um, system with the university. So all of the coastal states in the country have Sea Grant programs at their universities. And so when there's these issues of ocean and coastal and natural resource and environmental law issues that are affecting kind of the coastal areas in the United States, we get questions to ask and we do research and kind of provide kind of our analysis of where the state of the law is. Well, great. And we have some questions this morning that uh, we'd like our experts to answer. From Walnut Grove, Doug has called in. Thanks for calling in, Doug. What's your question? Uh, yes. Um, <clears throat> I live on a private lake. It used to be a, uh, a watershed lake, and it reverted back to the owners, and then the owners started selling these portions of it. And... and uh, if I own a property out in the water, say, say 200 yards from my, the land at where my house is, uh, do I have the right to tell fishermen not to fish on my property? Um, you know what? I have to. It depends on the state you're in, the answer to that question. And so in some states, yeah, um, will say you absolutely, yeah, and I have to, I don't want to tell you the wrong thing. I have to go back and look what the law is because it is different state by state. But um, in some states says absolutely you could put up a fence if you wanted to to keep people out. And in other states they say, no, you have to share it. So that's something I I don't want to tell you the wrong thing um, because what the exact law in Mississippi is is escaping me at the moment. But it could be either one. Okay. Uh, How could I find out? Um, We would have to, you know, really, because it's private property, um, that's something you'd have to really either look up under the law um, or it might be a common law issue that we would have to look at kind of old cases in the state to see what the proposition was. Doug, maybe you could try to send us an email. Our email is in legal it's legal terms at 
mpbonline.org, legal terms at mpbonline.org, and we can forward that to Professor Gershon and to Professor Janice, and maybe they could uh, do a little digging for you. Okay, that's that's uh, www.legalterms at mpb. Online? Uh, no, sir. With an email, you don't have the W. That's, oh, that's a website. Right. An email is the address, and it's legalterms mm-hmm. at mpbonline.org. Dot org. Okay, I'll do that. Thank you. Thank you, Doug. Another question about property lines that uh, someone has emailed in. I guess this is this is more of a general one. If my neighbor is uh, moving, they are selling their home, but has trees encroaching on this person's property. How can our uh, questioner? How can they get them to handle that before they move? You know, that's uh, Liz. That's really a uh, a property question. Is more, more than a fishing game question. I would have to say, and that's something that. Um, Again, it really depends. I, first thing I would do is ask the neighbor, will you please cut the trees down? Actually, if the trees are on your property, you do have some rights to at least take down the limbs, certainly. I mean, you know, that there have been cases that say if, if somebody's apples are falling on, on my property, they're my apples. So, uh, you know, there, there are things that a person can do. I think the first thing is to discuss with the neighbor and then uh, discuss with the new neighbor, too, because, you know, that's that's just kind of the, the first thing I would do before I would go to any legal remedy. But it does seem to me that they're, depending on how big the encroachment is, you know, that the, uh, the person has some rights to at least uh, trim the trees and try to remove parts of them uh, without killing the tree. Thank you very much, Professor Gershon. And if you have a question that you would like to ask of our uh, two professors who are speaking with us today, we would love for you to give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. And we had been talking about um, how the state... um, how they are able to to regulate do does the federal government or the local government do they have ways to regulate species sure so um the federal government can kind of regulate species that you know have kind of this interstate you know aspect to them and so the biggest one that people probably think of off the top of their heads are endangered species act and so there's you know species of both fish and game that are regulated under the act where, you know, to take or hunt them is specifically prohibited. But another major statute that we, you know, face in this area of law, which isn't that well known, is the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, which was passed kind of early in the 20th century because migratory birds were so overhunted at that point in time that, you know, some of them actually went extinct. Um, And so that is one of the strictest wildlife laws that we have. And so if a bird is listed under that Migratory Bird Treaty Act, um, you're going to need kind of a federal permit to hunt. You're going to have to follow local regulations. But it has complete strict liability. So um, technically under that act, you know, if I was driving to campus today and I had hit, you know, a migratory bird with my windshield under that act, I would actually be liable under that act. And so that is the strictest um, wildlife law that we have out there and one that most people aren't aware of. 
Goodness. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's go back to uh, hunting and fishing. What if you're on if you're on your very own property, your private property? Uh, what uh, What are some of the rules? And so on your private property, um, you know, if you have a regular species that you're wanting to hunt, you probably don't need a license. So you don't have to go to the state and pay that license fee to hunt. But you're going to have to kind of abide by all these other regulations in the state because the idea is that it is state prop. You know, the wildlife is state owned. It is not yours, even though it's on your property because it can move off at any time. And so you're going to have to abide by kind of all these rules about seasons for hunting and the way you can hunt them, um, bag limits and those things. And so, you know, just because something's on your private property doesn't mean you have the right to kind of take it whenever you want. What you do have is the right to either exclude others, which came up earlier in the hour, or the ability to grant access to others. So you could sell to other people kind of easements or licenses to come onto your property to hunt if it was good um, habitat to do so. All right. And uh, what about, we're, this is, we're talking about uh, land. Uh, what about things on the coast? How are species regulated off the coast of Mississippi? So in Mississippi, um, it's state property, kind of three nautical miles off the coast of Mississippi. And so anything within kind of that area is under state regulation. But once we get past that line, it gets into federal property. And so that's where you see the federal government coming in and kind of regulating fish species and kind of seasons and take limits and those kinds of things. Um, but the Gulf itself is a pretty interesting, when you're talking about kind of property lines, is pretty interesting because the act which created that rule where states have three miles out and then it's federal property created this exception where states could come in and say if they could prove that either under their, you know, constitution before they became states or if they were sovereign nations, if they owned further out into the water, they could get an extended boundary. And actually there's a Supreme Court case that says that Texas and the Gulf Coast of Florida have um, 10 miles out and everyone else in the Gulf, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama only have three miles out. And so that's created kind of this very tense relationship and kind of regulatory issues that we face kind of in the most famous one that's talked about in the Gulf is kind of red snapper. And it kind of creates this very hard logistical regulatory area that can be very tense at times. Is that 10 and 3 miles out from the actual coast or from maybe the barrier island it's, or the island that uh, is part of the state? Yeah, it's from wherever that end of the state boundary, you know, land boundary is. So since Florida's got the, the keys, they can, they can go pretty far down. <laughs> yeah, and that whole Gulf Coast of Florida is 10 miles out that they can regulate. And so in Mississippi... Who makes these regulations on hunting and fishing? Sure. So there's a commission on wildlife, fisheries, and parks. And so they're appointed by the governor. Um, there's five members. They're supposed to be one member from each congressional district. Um, and so the governor gets to just appoint these five people to kind of run this commission to regulate the species in the state. All right, and I will proudly say my grandfather was on the Game and Fish Commission in Arkansas quite, 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 quite a long time ago. We have a caller now. 
We have a question from Scuba. Leo is calling in. Leo, welcome to the show. What's your question? Uh, I bought a piece of a, a, a house, and the adjoining land, they put a fence through it, and they put a fence on my porch and but the driveway. Of course, the driveway was on their property, but the porch is on their driveway, too. But when their house was built, it was okay. So what, what do I do with this? Well, that's one that I uh, appreciate the question, but I think you need to probably talk to uh, an attorney who can look at your deed um, and see, you know, what there's certain things called easements. Easements are where you don't own the property, but you can use someone else's property. Um, and it could be that the owner previously was allowing you to use that property and you had an easement to it. And there might be restrictions in your deed about you know, them putting a fence up. You know, usually people can use their property the way they want to. I would, I, without having, you know, a chance to look at your deed or, or look at the specifics, it would be really hard. Look at a survey. You need somebody who can do that for you and see what, what your rights might be. Uh, the house was built before I bought it. I still can go get that bid or look at Well, if you bought, yeah, right? you should be able to, if you bought the, if you bought the property, there should be, somebody should be able to search the title. Uh, and there should be a deed record uh, that's it, it, recorded. It's not any, I'm sorry for cutting you off, but I didn't did that myself, and it's not anything on there. It just says about, you know, how much property it is and all that kind of stuff, but it's nothing about, you know, you have a right to do that. Well, there's there, there are a couple of things. There's one, called, something called an express easement, which would be in the deed itself. Okay. But but there's also something called a, an implied easement, you know, that they, and if you've used it and the person allowed you to use it for, uh, a, you know, a lot of years and that was the only way you can get to your property, you know, again, without being able to look at the property, it's hard it's hard to give a definitive okay. answer. But but you need somebody who can, can look at that for you, and, and they should be able to fairly quickly determine whether you have um, any right to, to use that property without the fence there. I would also just talk to the neighbor and, and let them know that that, you know, that's uh, a problem. Well, uh, I just like talking to Well, thank you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're so glad that Leo called in this morning. You can give us a call, too. We're about to take a break, so uh, we'll be ready to take your calls when we come back. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring which works out to one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. When we come back to the break, we'll talk some more about fish and game laws in Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio's In Legal Terms. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. 
We're so glad that you've joined us today. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert, and he's joined in Oxford by our guest, Professor Kathy Janissey, who teaches law school classes on natural resources law, public lands, and environmental issues in the Gulf of Mexico region. And today we're focusing on fish and game. Our number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 And um, one thing, you know, I, I grew up in Arkansas, and my mom still lives there in a rural area. And in Arkansas, they have, I don't know if it's a law, but you can go buy purple paint. And you paint it on the trees around your property line like a swash. And that's to kind of show that it's private property and hunters don't go there. You know, this is state property. This is private property. Does does Mississippi have a way to let hunters know when they've moved from a landowner to landowner land? You know, I think we can, you know, private property owners, as we discussed before, can kind of post and say this is private property. Do not come on. I kind of tried to find this answer quickly yesterday afternoon to see if we had a similar kind of color um, purple paint kind of thing and I couldn't find anything yesterday um, so the only thing I know is kind of posting that sign that says this is private property um, do not come on kind of alert to people like that situation about the caller earlier in the hour kind of saying you know he has people coming onto his property um, so obviously you can't put a sign at every part of your property to kind of say this is private but to kind of post it so people are aware that that is your property and you don't want them on it Maybe if there are people from DWFP listening, they will uh, follow Arkansas's uh, uh, suggestion, and uh, and and also the purple paint lobby could uh, maybe uh, pitch in to to get that <laughs> sold. <laughs> All right, we've got some calls now. We're so glad that we have our callers uh, from Mobile. We have uh, Mikey. Mikey, welcome to In Legal Terms. What's your question? Well, first of all, I have a comment regarding the purple paint. I just found out last weekend that that's been a new law in uh, in Alabama, just recently passed in Alabama. And you know what I'm going to do um, because I'm I'm really tired of being um, overrun by people who are not the best people. Um, my question is, it's always you know go and ask a real estate lawyer. Well, what are the approximate, the ballpark costs for surveys and real estate lawyers? I know you can't answer this for Alabama, but it's the Gulf Coast. You know, I, I think that's, a, I mean, it's a great question. I, I would say you can, the best thing is just, you know, talk to people, talk to surveyors and ask them how much they would do, get an estimate. Same, same thing, you know, with a contractor. Before you can talk to lawyers and ask them how much they charge because it varies depending on the lawyer. It varies depending on the law firm, how big they are, how small they are, you know, sometimes how hungry they are. So, um, I, you, you price lawyers and you price surveyors the same way you do anything else. Uh, you know, there was a time when the, the state bars would publish recommended uh, prices for things like wills, uh, and lawyers, um, you know, had uh, some guidelines that way too, but, that was considered an antitrust violation, anti-competitive. So, you know, just like anything in the free market, it's best to just ask people, what do you charge for that? Thank you. 
All right. Well, we're so glad that we could help you with that call, Mikey. Uh, we've got a full lines. Uh, well, Mikey's just dropped off, so now we have uh, one line open. But next, uh, we're glad to welcome from Jackson, Pat, who has a question about, oh, here's one, uh, Professor Janice, off of uh, right up your alley, uh, neighbor's lands drains onto hers. Pat, what's your question? Okay, I have a neighbor's uh, whose land drains onto mine, and I have about a three-foot retaining wall onto a parking area. Every time it rains, his yard washes down into my yard. Uh, I mean, the dirt, and it stays there on that parking area, and I have to pick it up and move it. Um, Recently, he has put some kind of fabric down, and it looks like grass seed or something, I guess, in an attempt maybe to retain his soil. He also put up some kind of fabric against my fence, and when it rained the other day, it looked like Niagara Falls. It created a big basin of water, and this water came running down my property and down my driveway, and it was just unreal. What can I do? What does he have? Does he have any, um, what, responsibility to me at all? Yeah, so these are all great, you know, property questions, and it's just highlighting how kind of specific, fact-specific all of these issues are. I have, Richard, do you know the um, law for water trespass in Mississippi? Yeah, it seems like to me what, what he's doing possibly is, first of all, I mean, there, there's some things that just happen naturally. If you're downhill and somebody else is uphill, mm-hmm. there's only so much there. They have responsibility for that. Um, but there are nuisance laws. And if he is doing something that is creating a nuisance, a nuisance, again, is something like, you know, if, if I'm doing something on my property, whether it's creating a lot of noise, whether it's uh, putting up a lot of smoke, uh, you know, putting things on my property that don't belong there, that affects the value of your property, you do have some rights. I, again, you know, we hate to keep saying this over and over again, but the, the fact is these things are also fact-specific, that, that an attorney could look at them and, and give you better advice than we can just cold over the air because we don't, we don't see the property. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know what specifically he's doing. Um, and so, um, you know, this sounds like to me the, a really a property law question, maybe a nuisance question, which is a tort uh, question as well. Okay. Well, the you know, he has been not very easy to speak to uh, on several other problems before I've tried to um, talk to him about it, and it hasn't worked out. So, You know, sometimes there's city – I'm sorry to interrupt you, but one thing to do is say there, there could be – there's city enforcements as well and, and, you know, state and city enforcements for, for what people can and can't do on their property that – um, if somebody's violating a city code by doing something on their property, you can get uh, local enforcement authority to to also help you out there. Um, well, again, sorry. I'm sorry. Excuse me. No, that's fine. I interrupted you, but that I hope that gives you some ideas to you know somebody who can come out and look at the property and and see what your rights might be. Well, let me just ask you one more thing. It's created like a gully on his land. And I think if he just put some stones on it and made like a dry creek, it would create, you know, a better flow. At least I wouldn't get, I don't mind the water. The water just washes down. But this, all this soil keeps coming down. It's washing his, 
his yard away. Yeah, I'm really sorry that's happening. And I, you know, again, I, I know, you know, the best outcomes come when neighbors talk to each other and can work things out. And it doesn't sound like that is is possible. So, uh, you may actually have to talk to an attorney that handles um, real estate issues and and nuisance issues uh, to to help you out. Pat, we hope we've given you a couple of options that you're able to take advantage of to uh, seek remedy with your your problem. Buford from Ripley, can you please? Uh, we'd love to hear your question. My question is: I just someone told me the 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 law in Mississippi about uh, a poster sign, posted being all. And to my knowledge, a law years ago is all land and private land in Mississippi is posted with or without a sign. Or uh, anything on it. You supposed to have permission, a period, uh, uh, in Mississippi, uh, unless it, unless you own, because you be on posted land. Okay. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You need permission to go, and you know the the laws and regulations are very specific about that. Is that's you right. need permission you know, that's right. to go period. on someone's private property. You know, the posting just is is putting people on notice, um, and so it's something for yourself to kind of help people well, stay Well, what we do, you know, is we'll stick. A, a few posters signed up where we really don't want nobody, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, we sort of, you know, tell the game on, you know, uh, that's fine, you know, or whatever, you know. But but we don't want nobody, we might. So a few signs on whatever to let the, the warden know that, you know, that, that, that nobody, that no trespassing is to be on this property. Yeah, and as I think that's... As far as the law goes, though, you are trespassing if you don't have a permit. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You need, and there's actually, if you go on the... um. Wildlife Fish and Parks website, there is actually a document you can download to ask, you know, property owners. They can sign a little piece of paper for you that you can print off the Internet to actually give you permission to come on your property. But you're absolutely right. right. Under the law, they have no right to be there. Um, uh, and, they sure don't. They and got, you they bring up a good, yeah, and you bring up a good point is, you know, if you're having kind of these issues with other people, one of the best people to, you know, talk to those issues about is actually your local game warden because they're kind of the expert in the area about what the issues are going on. Oh, yeah. And yeah. That's, you know, they, they, yep. they, they work with, you know, they don't go down here out of their way. They see somebody out here on a piece of property and, 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 and ride them up right quick and all. You know, they, uh, they, are, they are very, very broad-minded about it, you know, and, and all. And, and uh, 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 uh and, and, you know, we've got a good law. You know, I really respect the law we got because so that way, you know, uh, uh, landowners can be protected, you know, uh, by people that want to help themselves, you know. Yep. Buford, we appreciate your call, and uh, we'd love to have you call in. We have a couple of lines open. We're about to go to our last break of the show. Um, and we would love for you to subscribe to our podcast. When you go to our website, mpbonline.org slash in legal terms you can listen to our past shows and there's a purple button there that you can subscribe to our show so that you can listen to past in legal terms and it's also available on the mpb media app you're listening to in legal terms on mpb think radio
podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. As an MPB listener, you probably know of Radio Reading Service, our free closed-circuit network for the print impaired. But did you know that means Radio Reading Service isn't only for the visually impaired and that MPB provides the special receiver you need for the service? Call 601-432-6301 to see if you qualify for MPB's Radio Reading Service. 601-432-6301. There's so much more to know. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to MPB Think Radio's In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. Today we're our, I'm Liz Gill and my co-host, Professor Richard Gershon. We are joined by Professor Kathy Genesee of the University of Mississippi School of Law, who teaches on fish and game and environmental issues. And we're so glad that she's joining us today. Uh, We have a full slate of calls, and we appreciate that uh, Peggy from Bahalia. Peggy, you've been holding on so patiently. We appreciate it. What is your question for in legal terms? Well, this has to do with private property. If you are hunting with dogs, whether you're fox hunting or coon hunting or bird hunting, and your dog gets on private property, can you legally go on the property to retrieve the dog if it will not come back or for some reason can't come back to you? I don't mean hunt there, just mean go get your dog. Is it legal for you to go on that property or is it not? You know, I think probably in that case... You know that there there's some things in the law that we we talk about the law that uh, does not really deal with trifles. And I think if you're just going on the on somebody's land to, to get your lost dog, you know there there's there's some things that really even though technically that may be a trespass, it's really usually not something that uh, any anyone would uh, would have a big big uh, heart attack over. Um, and so you should probably be able to do that now. If it's happening regularly and daily, then uh, there might be a concern. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I hope that my neighbors come and get their dog <laughs> off my yard if, uh, if, uh, the dog is lost and, and wandering. And I, and our dogs are, have a remote control collars and everything, but sometimes they get in situations. We've had them get stuck in kudzu and they couldn't get out. So we had to go in and get them. So thank you for your comments. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for calling in, uh, Peggy. We appreciate your calls. Uh, we also appreciate getting calls from Osaka and Kathleen. Thanks for calling in Illegal Terms today. Hi. I usually listen and don't call, but I have an ongoing problem. Uh, there's a fence line involved, two pieces of private property. And the trees on the fence line, most of them are on my side, but they have been there um, I'd say probably close to 100 years, and some of the limbs, if they fall on the other side of the property, do they have the right to just pick them up and throw them back on my side? Again, this is, I, I think that's something, I, you know, you can, every, everyone out there who's listening can, can be happy to, pay, we're happy if you want to pay a lawyer to, to deal with some of these issues, but the best of course, is to talk to your neighbor and try to work that out 
uh, and just say, hey, you know, I don't appreciate if you didn't throw them on my side or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. Because, again, that's a very specific factual thing. And, um, you know, it's uh, we, we with neighbors, we have line, property lines. Property lines are pretty uh, arbitrary when you come right down to it and things grow on them and animals cross them. And uh, and so uh, the best approach really is just to, to talk to the neighbor and, and try to work that out individually um, because there's really not a, a, so much a legal remedy in that respect. That doesn't help in this case. But they also burn trash on that side and their property is higher than mine. So whatever they burn, whenever they burn it, drains in the rain onto my property. Well, again, that's something that, that, that could be a nuisance. That could be a violation of city code. Uh, you know, that's all very, also very specific. I think, you know, if there's one, one thing I would just talk to the city is, are they even allowed to burn on the property? Because there are places where you need to have a permit to burn things. And again, I would, I would just, uh, consult either with a local lawyer, but first maybe even the city to see if, uh, if that burning is appropriate. All right. Thanks. Thanks for calling in, Kathleen. We're glad uh, that you did. Um, now we're going to we got to try to get a couple more in quickly. We've got uh, Cindy from Memphis. Can you have a hunting question for us? Um, yes. So um, I have property that I inherited in Arkansas. And so this goes back to that paint question. Um, so I don't I live in Mississippi, so I'm not there a lot. And I have a lot of trespassers. I have people who actually put up um, deer stands on my property, and I have another person who actually set up a remote camera feeding trough for deer on my property. And um, I've, you know, I've done everything. I've ran, um, I've ran uh, wire or whatever they're called um, types of gates across all openings and hung no trespassing signs. And everything on these. And um, so I really, what I wanted to do was just get somebody to go up there and take all the deer stands down and take the feeding trough off of the hair and all the camera stuff and just go set it on the edge outside of my property line. And if they want it, they can come get it or something. I mean, what what is my responsibility for those things? Am I allowed to just remove that stuff? Uh, because it's illegal to be on there, and yet that stuff costs, you know, uh, the feeding trough and some of the stuff the guys, this guy has put up there, and I don't know who it belongs to. I mean, I go look inside the camera at him and, like, get this stuff off my property, you know, <laughs> and it's still there, but I don't live there, and he obviously knows that, or she obviously knows that. Any ideas about what I'm supposed to do? I, do I have the right to remove it, and if I remove it, can I throw it away? Can I sell it? What can I do? Um, so, yeah, I think um, Richard and I both seem to be in agreement that you can absolutely take it off your property. I don't know if I would, you know, depending on who's the property owner on the other side of the fence, I don't know if I necessarily would put it over the side of the property. But, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's illegally on your property, and if they ever came back to you and said, you know, what did you do with my deer stand, your response would be, you were trespassing on my property. So... Um, you do have every right to remove it. I think I could, you, would, you could even say thank you for the gift. <laughs> <laughs> our call screener today has been Michelle McAdoo, and our board engineer was Jay White. Thanks, Professor Gershon. Thank you, Professor Janice. We appreciate you being here today. 
I'm our producer, Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking. Join us again next Tuesday at 10 for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.